0: to episode four of Slaytanik Verkast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics and giving a final appraisal. I'm Mo from France and to my west, broadcasting from a derelict nuclear submarine beached off the coast somewhere near Barrow-Infirmis. It's Dr. Lee How you doing, Doc?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's actually nice and cool down here. Mm. Um, autumn has come, as you know, and um, sort of being only about 25 feet below the surface so the snorkel can, uh, can actually get to fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it arrests my cellular decomposition quite a bit.
0: Do you struggle with claustrophobia at all down there? Because I think I would.
1: Um, I might have done it at some point in the past, but um, the five years um, I spent um, hiding in the basement of the house in um, Dunwich, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of cured me of a a, a great deal of that. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I mean, during that time, I I had plenty to do, such as, like, painfully regrowing my own right hand. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yes. Um, But, you know, this... um, this space was uh, originally built for um, for 80 sailors. So uh, just um, me and me and me. Um, it, it feels quite spacious. Do you get a good Wi Fi signal? Um, I have to float the buoy to the surface mm. um, with the antenna on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's not bad um, because normally what I can do is to piggyback onto the Wi Fi signal of the cellular uh, cell field. Nuclear reprocessing plant just at the coast. Right. Um, and as you can imagine, being a, a, a government installation, um, they have excellent internet access and absolutely no firewalls.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah, very, very good, yes. All, all the better for the Russians to access, I imagine. Um, yes. I thought today we could talk about something a little bit negative to start. Oh. So, talk to me, Dr. Lequessens, if you will, about types of metal that you don't like
1: is it too blatantly cock obvious to even say new metal i mean it can you pick can we just your weapon um yeah um new metal um mm. the point where metal apparently for whatever reason decided that it was embarrassed or ashamed of its outsider status um, and instead of being a form of resistance or a form of refuge um, against violence, social domination, um, the overbearing need to fit in and be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. It actually became all of those things, um, and I hate it to death.
0: I don't like new metal very much. I mean, there are some exceptions, you know, bands that are classified as new metal, but which I do not really agree with. A couple of examples spring to mind will be Nemik, a very interesting Danish band who quite experimental, especially vocally. Um, Mudvayne would be another one um, who were almost um, progressive in their in their songwriting um, techniques. But generally speaking, yes, new metal is is is, is the the idea of the metal genre, I would say, what I hate about it is the macho posturing that seems to infest
1: it. It's it's despicable. Um, um, it's, I would like to say that sort of goes along with exactly what I was saying. It, mm-hmm. It's um, it's metal for the cool kids, Yeah. Um, you know. So I mean, the it's <laughs> it's metal for school bullies and mm-hmm. jocks mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I, I, I get one glimpse of a chain wallet or a woolly hat or something, and I really, really have to suppress the urge to retch. The, the,
0: there's another strand to new metal as well, which is almost kind of the opposite, um, but which is, e- which is equally loathsome, and that is the kind of emo-inflected new metal, where it's kind of a big muscular man covered in tattoos, probably with a beard, Bleating on about you know how he ha- you know how how he got bullied at
1: school and how now he cries in his bedroom, um, horrid. Um, there was a brilliant bit of commentary I saw once. Um, I can't even remember what magazine it was in. Um, I would place it at about the year two thousand and five when I read it, um, and um, it described new metal as music for victims turned bullies. Mm, mm. It, it, it's a great
0: choice, uh, Doctor. It's absolutely horrid, and thank God it
1: seems to have gone away. Um, things like that never quite go away. Um, completely by accident, um, I was reading another article two days ago um, that was hot, that, that was anxiously anticipating the rebirth of new metal.
0: Oh, good! Oh, joy, joy of joys! Yes, yeah. something to look forward to in these COVID
1: days, at least. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of makes me want to go and listen to some um, well-but-inexpertly-played, badly-produced, early-80s thrash mm-hmm. um, with lots of songs about warriors and swords, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of good, considering why we're here this evening, isn't it? <laughs> I can highly recommend Onslaught's Power From Hell album. Get that one down
0: <laughs> there. That will cheer you up. For me, um, I think that... The style I like the least... I mean, now that you've reminded me of new metal, of course that takes top billing. Um, But after that, I would have to say raw, primitive black metal. It just does nothing for me. I admire the underground nature of it. I admire the, you know, we don't give a fuck if anybody wants to listen to this attitude. Um... I find it totally unlistenable, unfortunately
1: um I think you're kind of supposed to mm. um i i I think primitive black metal posits itself as uh, <laughs> it it exists as a barrier to entry to getting into it mm-hmm. and I think they're disappointed if
0: they sell more than five hundred copies, aren't they because they, that's kind of a, a sign that maybe they're selling out a little bit
1: um yeah, or um. Uh, uh, um, too many posers and exactly. um trend uh, and trend obsessed fools. Yeah, they're um, not co- they're not convulked enough, are they? <laughs> um it's an interesting one for me because um my my non-metal listening has on occasion, as in often, been described by some people as in many um as you only bought this because it's completely fucking unlistenable, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I remember you told me a very funny
0: story that you were listening to, maybe it was Morbid Angel, and your mom walked into your room and looked you straight in the eye with a very stern expression on her face and said something along the lines of, don't people go mad listening to this? very
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Perfectly serious, perfectly sincere question. Um, not even... Um, particularly attempting to be derogatory. I think it was a perfectly serious question. Do people ever go mad listening to this? <laughs> to the, the, um, answer,
0: the answer to which, of course, is yes, they do. And that's the idea. All the time. So let's move on. Welcome to part two of the show. Um, here, we play the track. We pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to and generally just get down to a bit of slayer. This week's song is track four from Show No Mercy, Fight Till Death. Let's go. (laughs) Quite a chaotic start, I would say. That, for that initial riff, um, I mean, it, it, it's hardly a melody, is it?
1: Um, but it's, it, it's interesting. Um, I like it very much so far. Mm. Uh, mm. Last podcast, um, I mentioned that um, it's sort of one of the accepted facts. It's one of the things that, quote, unquote, everyone knows, that Slayer are massively influenced by Venom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always struggled to hear it. Um, I, If the chaps have said that's true In interviews or whatever Then I've got no intention of, of, of saying No you're not influenced by Venom I've always struggled to hear it I've never quite caught it um, But there were some bits in the last track um, The previous track we listened to um, Which basically were lifted Straight out of Welcome to Hell Sure. Um, and the opening to this track Wouldn't sound out of place On black metal by Venom mm. Now would mm. it? yeah i think i
0: I think maybe the reason that 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 you weren't quite um seeing the the connection is because you know your familiarity with their first two albums is not as great as that of their later material would that be fair to say
1: that's perfectly fair to say yeah
0: yeah yeah And, and and the and the obvious venom influences as they develop their own style i mean they're still there of course because it's in the dna but it you know, but it's just much less apparent.
1: Gotcha. Yeah,
0: let's go on. That's
2: one in bed! That's one spot to the end!
0: Stuff so far, isn't it? Just heads down, get thrashing. You know, play the guitar as quick as you can, and let's get on with
1: it. Yeah, and you've also got a couple of um, real hardcore influences coming to the uh, right to the fore as well. Um, you've got the um, uh, well, you've you've got the Discharge drum pattern, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> um, and you've got some sort of very almost performatively primitive guitar playing mm-hmm. um, that um, wouldn't necessarily sound out of place on on, on a class, on, on a crass track or a conflict track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine, and once again, I'm, I'm looking forward to the comments on this. It's also well known that Slayer were massively influenced by hardcore. Um, I would be very interested to get to know what Specific hardcore bands, other people can pick out of that mix. Sure. Um, my source material is fairly obvious and not very imaginative. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're. I think what we're seeing in this track is a lot of oft mentions, or a lot of oft mentioned influences on Slayer, really making their presence felt and really becoming apparent. And it's not entirely a bad thing. Mm. Let's see how it progresses. <laughs>
0: stuff, isn't it? Really, you know. If you listen to the the, the the actual verse riff, I'm not saying it's a bad riff by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it, it's four notes, um, just just played at a blazing speed, and and the chorus is the same. It's just four different notes um, with a slightly a slight change in in, in intonation. Um, very very basic for for, for 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 what we think of of about
1: Slayer. Yeah, definitely. There are metal parts in it, but not many. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm as the song progresses. So once the introduction is over, I'm perceiving more and more and more um, primitive hardcore mm-hmm. influences. In fact, there's actually a tiny little quote um, just about the time of the second um, line in the second stanza. I'm not going to call it a verse in the, mm-hmm. the yeah uh, in the second stanza. Um, you'll hear a tiny little quote from um, "Do They Owe Us a Living" by Crass, which mm-hmm. is the buntish 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 tiny little fill. Oh yes. Um, and the the little sort of um, marching tattoo that goes along with the final word of the uh, of the stanza. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's see what happens next. <laughs>
0: isn't it what on earth is
1: going on well it makes perfect sense to me Mm -hmm. um and in that last section we saw obviously the return of the metal Mm -hmm. um i'll tell you if you'd been able to watch me um while i was listening to that you'd have seen me like have to suppress giggles (laughs) Um, and this is also a bit of a, a a reference to um Something I said in the uh, the previous episode uh, about the production on the drums. And I thought to myself, well, that's something you don't often hear um, in metal. Um, when the drum kit cuts back to nothing but the snare. Sure. Um, and I realised halfway through, that's actually the bass drum. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's actually doing a perfectly standard metal thing, which is leaving the kit alone except stomping along on the kick drum. Um Except the production is actually so horrible. You can't tell the difference between the sound of the snare and the sound of the kick drum. It's brilliant. <laughs> Poor old um, Dave. Let's keep going. And, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go on, Go on Duck. No, I, I was going to say, um, whereas it undermined the previous song, but it's thematically appropriate for this one. Because of the hardcore, you feel? Yeah, uh, and just because of the very primitive and very chaotic and very anarchistic nature of the rest of the playing. Yeah, yeah, it's raucous. Let's go, let's go on.
0: <laughs> I really hate that. I really hate those three squeals. I really, really don't like that. That sounds like oh it, 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 it just sounds so kind of glam rock to me. I, 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 it's so out of place. What, what are they doing?
1: Isn't it interesting <laughs> how two different people with um, approximately similar backgrounds in music mm. can take two, different th- two completely different things? Um, to me, that sounds like something Black Flag would do. Wow, OK. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, deliberate, the The solo that's played deliberately out of time mm-hmm. with the rest of the music um, and then the eternal screech um, and the bits of feedback. Um, that sounds like something Greg Jinn would play. Mm. It, 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 I don't mind the I don't mind the feedback. It's just
0: that that's that, that screechy bit. And I, I and I think I know why. It's because it really reminds me of the terrible. Now spoilers for a future episode, but it's not going to be for quite a long time. But it really reminds me of that terrible Judas Priest cover they did on South of Heaven. Oh. Oh, oh God, let's carry on. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Vocals are good throughout, I think, this one. I think this is the first track so far uh, where I found his, his vocals um, to be consistently good throughout. I think all of the three tracks prior to this, you know, he's, 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 he's dropped into that um, really high-pitched technique that, that he uses in, 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 their early, in their early couple of albums. But so far, so good here. And we're almost at the end, so I, I can't imagine he's suddenly going to burst into it. That's two. Let's find out. Let's finish it off. <laughs>
1: Stuck. once again i've come across um a bunch of stuff i did not expect to hear mm-hmm. um in the song um, i've come out of it enjoying it i think more than i expected to once again mm. um and i think i enjoyed it quite a bit more than you did mm. and just for once i think the music is actually really worth talking about here
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, it's the first time and I think it might be the last time that Slayer ever get that chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds and I don't know whether it's purposefully played to sound under-rehearsed or whether it really is under-rehearsed. Sure. Um, it, it, it,
0: it's de- it's definitely not the last time they get this chaotic. There are moments coming up on Hella White, and even even a couple of places on on Rain in Blood, I would say that, that that match it.
1: Um, that's very interesting for me because the overbearing image I have in mind when I think of Slayer mm. um, is their sort of that that their, their clockwork precision. Mm. I think I think that kicks in from South of Heaven,
0: right? Onwards, certainly the first two albums, you you will notice a. A marked step up between Hellowites and Raining Blood, and then the same thing again between Raining Blood and South of Heaven, as, as we work our way through.
1: Do you attribute that to any one specific factor? Because I mean, I, I, I can think of any one of a bunch of reasons, or any several of a bunch of reasons, why that might come about. Mm-hmm. As a band plays together more, um, they get used to each other's style. They get used to each other's ticks and you just become a more cohesive unit and you're more able to pull off the steely discipline um, that I think characterizes Slayer for me and I think characterizes them for many other people as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You think of Slayer and you think of the the stops, um, you think of the unison playing, you think of the ability to turn on a sixpence and change the speed or the time signature Mm -hmm. or the complete direction of a song um, which I know is taken for granted um, in metal nowadays and probably has been since the technical death metal of the early 90s. But that was quite new. That was quite unusual when Slayer started doing it. Oh, for sure. Um, what are another bunch of reasons? Um, the, the obvious one that I don't want to mention, but I probably have to, is um, they just got more money.
0: Well, yeah, um, I, 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 they, yeah, I think a combination of time in the studio, and more money. I think those two two things combined, actually.
1: Money can't buy talent, but it can buy more retakes. Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly. It can buy buy a better recording engineer. Absolutely Um, correct. It can buy a 32-track machine instead of a 16-track machine, Mm -hmm. Um, and the ability to... not have to track everything live so everyone gets to record their guitar part separately Mm -hmm. and one person makes a mistake um then you can go back and record that part instead of having to trash the perfectly good take that you had already exactly you know and and
0: you know just just it's it's time isn't it you know oh instead of having to do a track per day you've now got a track per week you know um just just a world of difference i imagine
1: Yeah, for good good and for bad, you know, for good and for bad, of course. I'm. I was. I was about to say, I'm really not a fan of albums that, you can tell, have had an absolute ton of time and money spent on them. Mm. Um, But I really think there's a bell curve. I really think there's a bell curve at work in this. Too little time and too little money, and no one can do their best work. Um, Too much time and too much money, and you end up with a a favourite sort of phrase of mine from the world of engineering, which is, perfection is the enemy of good enough. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, I think a very necessary piece of the self-discipline needed for a producer um, or for a band um, is knowing when to say, that's fine. Sure, yeah, yeah, that would do, that would do, move on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree,
0: totally agree. Uh, anything else to say before we move on to the to the lyrics
1: um i've got a couple of things mm. so um we start off metal um we go into the hardcore um then we have a hardcore metal fusion section um, and then we have a, then then we reverse that um there's a lot of stuff in this track um that really wouldn't have sounded out of place in the set list of any number of other bands. Mm. Um, crucially, at this point and in the future, I don't know if Slayer are credited with having any backwash influence into hardcore. Um, it seems obvious to me that they do. By the time you get to the early 90s and you get Northern European hardcore, um It's obvious to me that it owes as much to material like this. It's got a a metal component to it that would not have been there if they were only taking their cues from the original UK or West Coast hardcore bands. That's actually kind of all I have to say about this for the moment. Um, Mm. Any reply to that? Yeah. It's difficult for me to talk about hardcore.
0: You know, I just have to um uh, con- you know about your superior knowledge because it's, it's not an area that i'm that I'm, I know a great deal about for me it just feels like <clears throat> precisely what it is really like a mid album track um I, d- I don't want to go as far as to say filler um because I don't think slayer do filler um but it, you know it, def- it definitely feels like a song that you know that you do bury at track four or track six or seven, you know. Um, so I, I, I understand the position on the album. That's not to say I think it's bad. I really love the the, the verse riff. Um, I like the chaos of it. Um, I just don't find it particularly memorable, I will say. Um, do they ever drunk this one out to play live? Uh, not that I... I mean, maybe maybe back really in the early days, but no, I I think post Raining Bloods, I, I, I don't remember ever seen them, um, you know, on the, of the live videos I've watched, I don't remember this one being played. So I think it's one that the band themselves have
1: forgotten as well. Yeah, because it doesn't have the sound. Um, I said earlier on, it sounds under rehearsed or under played. It doesn't, unlike the previous three tracks, it doesn't have the feeling about it, that it's been honed in front of a live audience. Um, it doesn't get the feeling doesn't give the feeling that they've played it a great many times, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and and for me, there's um, no, there's no. I think I think in in the previous three tracks, there has always been, you know, a, a, a real standout moment. Um, you know, whether whether it's the the you know the breakdown from Die by the Sword, um, you know, the the the, the, the soloing in, in the Antichrist. You know, there, there's always something, but. For me, this one, it's just a a little bit flat. Should we move on to the lyrics? I think so, yes. Yeah. Okay, welcome to part three of the show, which we call Evil Speak. Here, we, we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom's generally screaming in our direction. So here goes, verse one. Once more to the end.
2: Warriors above with power to kill, descend. Militia of blood, troops of hate, march to die. Soldiers of hell, veterans of death, arrive.
0: Metal and men clash once more to the end. Warriors above with the power to kill, descend. Militia of blood, troops of hate, march to die, Soldiers of hell, veterans of death, arise.
1: What are they talking about, Doc? Um, There's a couple of things they could be talking about. And I am reminded irresistibly um, of a review, I believe, in Metal Hammer magazine um, at the time, I think, that um, the Fourth Crusade came out. And the review started by saying, um, in a display of staggering originality, Bolt Thrower have written a concept album about war. (laughs) so basically it's about war mm-hmm. uh it's about war and war things uh and and war and 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 conflict um and it's got words like clash and warriors sure. and kill and mm-hmm. militia mm-hmm. and blood um and soldiers and veterans so it's 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 pretty it, there's, there's there's a bit of a theme going on here i think it might <laughs> be about war <laughs> are you getting the idea that this is
0: a war on three planes, because that's what I'm getting. I think, I think you have the like the terrestrial war of man, but I think also, the, it, it seems to, it, it's clearly referencing some kind of uh, war between heaven and hell as the warriors above descend and the soldiers of hell arise. And it seems like the, maybe the maybe mortal man is trapped between the two.
1: Um, it's one of these really interesting slayer lyrical situations where I don't even know how conscious it was, but you get simultaneous, um, as 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 the alchemists love to say, as above, so below. Sure. Um, so you get a similar, you, you get a simultaneous narrative of the um, the temporal or the earthly um, and the cosmological. Um, the reference to um, warriors above with the power to kill descend. Um, You can read as um, an explicit reference to the use of the Stuka dive bomber during the Blitzkrieg Mm -hmm. campaigns, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, which is obviously a a small, very lightweight bomber um, that was designed to dive very rapidly, um, release a small bomb onto a precision target, say, um, into a machine gun nest or um, into a troop deployment. Um, And the business of it, diving at high speed. Um, it also had wind horns fitted to the end of the wings to make it scream. Um, the sort of characteristic scream of the, uh, the Stuka is not um, just a function of its, its, its aerodynamics. That was actually amplified um, and the, the doctrine to which it was put and the design of the aeroplane were designed to um, increase fear and chaos um, amongst the people who it was attacking. So I think you can read warriors above with the power to kill descend as an explicit reference to that. And I don't disagree with you at all. I think there is a cosmological dimension to it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is further supported by um, soldiers of hell, veterans of death arise. This is a theme um, and calling forward. Now, this is a theme you see in Slayer um, over and over again, that effectively there is only one war or, all wars are the same, and mm-hmm. um, they're, um, they're undead spectacles. Uh, I suppose Ghosts of War is the most obvious example. I mean, that, that's the one I was thinking of as you were speaking, of course. Yeah, and it's, you know, a, 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 an interesting um, sort of take on the idea that, um, generally speaking, it, it's, it's considered that if you've served in a particularly famous or particularly highly regarded Military unit, you will obtain some aspect of immortality, mm-hmm. um, being linked with this legend. Um, you know, you may die, but you will live forever because the first of the ninth or the whatever will live forever. Sure. Um, and I think it's a very, it's a very grisly, very morbid take um, on that kind of. Um, I wouldn't even call it patriotic thinking. That 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 very fraternal thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. Let's look at the chorus. Prepare
2: for,
0: attack. Prepare for attack. Death will arrive. Your orders are clear. No way to hide. Fight till death. Now, this could be about... Any combat situation really couldn't any any, any large scale conflict.
1: Yeah, um, and I think it's um, if it's referring to anything specific, I think it's the Battle of Stalingrad, mm-hmm. um, where um, which was the first large scale deployment of um, Smersh, the unit of Soviet intelligence, um, which was explicitly created to. Um, effectively whip the dragons into battle um and there was a it possibly apocryphal um piece of propaganda put, the, uh, put about at the time which was um advance and the bullet might miss you retreat and the bullet will never miss mm-hmm.
2: um
1: so actually um it's safer to it's safer to face the enemy um than it is to attempt to retreat um because you've got some sort of horrifying secret police organization or horrifying intelligence organization who are absolutely not on your side mm-hmm. um you won't necessarily receive any safety or any respite um, if you retreat and you're actually better off advancing sure now the third line is endless war now
0: is this just uh, trying to invoke the image that, that, that you previously described of you know, as in Ghosts of War, that uh, war is forever, it's the same soldiers, it's the same war, they're just being resurrected constantly, a kind of reincarnation of combatants, effectively.
1: Yeah, um, I I mean, if you like, um, there is only one war um, Mm -hmm. that's just ended just endlessly reenacted. Mm. it's another bunch of poor kids being told to kill another bunch of poor kids mm. by a bunch of rich people mm. for a cause that none of the poor kids really understand or have anything to do with or, be- or, or, or gain anything from. Sure, and the, I think the rest of it is pretty
0: self-explanatory. Let's go on to verse 2. <laughs> senseless death of all mankind overtakes, armoured assassins destroy at will your escape, children of sorrow are trampled into the grave, there is no future, there is no fucking world to save. Um, Now, this is um, a song where both the music and the lyrics are written by Hanneman. Um, Armoured assassins, is he talking about tanks?
1: Um, I think it's talking uh, about tanks.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, that seems obvious to me. Um, children of sorrow—it's it, a—it's a wonderfully poetic
1: three words. So, uh, any specific reference you can think of, Doc? Um, no, children of sorrow sounds like it should be the title of a poem, mm. <clears throat> or should be the the chapter title from a well-known memoir. Mm. Um, the closest I can get is because it's apparently just about de at this point for uh, Slayer to include a Black Sabbath reference in every single thing they do and this is presumably a reference to Children of the Grave Mm -hmm. Uh, Children of Sorrow are trampled into the grave
2: Mm.
1: Um, Children of the Grave of course is a song about the futility of radical protest if it is a reference then that has come completely out of left field to me and it puts a completely different complexion on the song um, are we intended to view the the, the war in question within the song um, as, um, if you like, the 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 forces of change and radicality versus the uh, the forces of conservatism and tradition? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. There is always the possibility that a cigar is just a cigar. Uh, and it was a bit of a Black Sabbath reference that um, that Mr. Hanneman thought he'd uh, he'd put in there. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it, it, it's possible that, that, that there's no relevance to the to the
0: context. It, it, it just sounds good, and it and it ticks his little box for referencing Sabbath. Maybe yes, you know, um, there is no future. There's no fucking wall to save now. Slayer do not swear very often, particularly in their classic period. You know, prior to I would say prior to Christ Delusion, which I th- if my maths is good. Oh, no, mate, no, mate, no, 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 no. Maybe maybe God Hates Us All, which is their eighth album. I want to say, you know, they, they really did not swear very often that they, 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 it, it, it is not something they are known for. I don't really like it when they swear. Call me an old prude.
1: Um, Um, You're at the height of the powers of um, the Thatcher-Reagan era here. Uh, You're in the era of um, a a new wave of very extreme conservatism. Um, Very shortly after this, you would have the era of the the PMRC, um, which, irony of ironies, um, of course, was led by a lady whose husband would later go on to be a champion of the left and the environmentalist movement. PMRC being... Parents Music Resource Center. Um uh, explain for explain for the for for the listeners, please. Um amidst a bunch of concerns, very, very few of them real, um, and the majority of them cooked up out of absolutely nowhere by the Christian right in the mid-80s. Um, lady named Tippagore, um, whose husband was was Al Gore, the fellow I was just uh referring to, mm-hmm. um, arranged, uh, arranged an organisation called the Parents Music Resource Centre, which sounds innocuous enough, um, and it was supposed to be an organisation where parents could go and find out what was really going on with all of this crazy music that their um, their kids were listening to. Now is,
0: is, is this where Judas Priest were um, hauled before the, the judge, accused of backmasking lyrics
1: in, in, in their albums? Um, That would have been one of the events that led up to the formation of the PMRC. Mm. Um, There is a great, great documentary, which um, I would imagine you can find without too much trouble on various video sharing sites. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to worry about it. Uh, It was broadcast on Channel 4. It's long since passed into the public domain. Um, It's called um, Dancing with the Devil. It's presented by Stephen Wells, who... Um, old school NME readers um, will remember Um, it was very 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 influential on me Uh, I I saw it on first broadcast on Channel 4 when I was quite young Um, and it is in part because it's presented by Stephen Wells inevitably a rabble-rousing piece Mm -hmm. Um, and Mr. Wells is attempting to make the case that the Parents Music Resource Centre is um, not even remotely disguised state censorship of religious and political ideas of which they do not approve. Um, So, yes, you're right. Judas Priest were taken to court. They were absolutely acquitted of putting hidden messages in their records that made children commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, But the persecution continued, and the persecution intensified, according to Mr. Wells, and I have no evidence to disagree with him, the persecution intensified when it discovered that um, the lyrics of the bands that people were bothered about were not so much about worshipping the devil, which honestly very, very few people, I think, were genuinely upset about. Mm -hmm. But um, across hip-hop and across metal, um, they were concerned with left-wing politics. um, They were concerned with radical black politics. um, And in a move that may have backfired, on the part of of, Tipper Gore, it turned out that the political content of the music proved far more horrifying to um, the general, lightly conservative masses than songs about worshipping the devil. Sure, well, I mean, the one thing we can't have in music is freedom of
0: thought. Good Lord. Um, Let's go on to the next verse. of steel unleash their destruction on man reign of death what is the final command scepters of hate are dropped upon this earth clouds of terror destroy all hope of rebirth um now i think this final verse really confirms your theory that this is more to do with terrestrial war than my initial presumption that it was to do with kind of celestial wars
1: Um I didn't catch, I, I haven't caught much of, um. what should we say, a, a, a Blakeian um, angle to this song. I do think we're invited to consider a cosmological dimension to war, or if you like, even um, a supernatural dimension. I think this is very, very obviously a reference to Escalation, that if I'm right, if the first verse is a reference to Blitzkrieg, we start off in 1938 with the invasion of Poland, um, or possibly the Battle of Stalingrad, or possibly the uh, the invasion of Greece, something like that, I'm not sure. And then by the final verse, we've gone through present history and we're into the future, which was a very real possible future from the perspective of the mid 80s. So we are um, invoking the spectre of um, uh, mutually assured destruction. Well, the, 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 that's my reading of this verse. This
0: is the, the foretelling of you know, of, of, of World War III, the nuclear Armageddon, basically.
1: Yeah, so, uh, and there's some, there's some nice poetry, there's some nice use of the English language in here. Um, I like the phrase, scepters of hate are dropped upon the earth. Yes, uh, that stood out the, to me as well,
0: scepters of hate, I like that a
1: lot. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that a, a, a scepter is um, a symbol of authority and royalty, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's, it's carried as a symbol of power, Mm-hmm. Um, the, the mushroom cloud from a small tactical nuclear device <laughs> of up to several of to, uh, up to several tens of kilotons, actually greatly resembles a scepter. Um, mm-hmm. It's got a long, thin shaft um, mm-hmm. and a, a, a small bulbous tip. Speak for yourself, um, doc. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, fourteen kilotons
0: mm-hmm.
1: in one <laughs> go. That's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, I think it's a great last verse, actually. I think it really encapsulates the, you know, the, 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 the visual image that, that, that Jeff's going for. It's a, it's a strong ender, I would say.
1: And then we have this cracking final line, clouds of terror, destroy all hope of rebirth. Mm-hmm. And I'm, of all things, I'm drawn to think of Lord of the Rings here. Um, and I think it's widely understood that, amongst many other things, Lord of the Rings is an elegy for um, an age of warrior honor um, when real men fought real men, mm. um, and which World War I has finally put an end to. Mm-hmm. Um, and transferring war from something that I don't know I wasn't alive in the 19th century was maybe glamorous, maybe wasn't, uh, maybe had some concept of warrior honor to it, maybe didn't, I don't know. Um, but by 1914 or by 1916 had definitely turned into nothing but mechanized butchery sure Um, certainly at the
0: start of the first world war it seems from my understanding that that, the people were you know were very happy to to sign up and 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 to to volunteer but by the you know but by the end of the conflict that was totally different wasn't it
1: well, it was assumed that it was going to be another nation-state war. Mm-hmm. There had been nation-state wars every few years for since the beginning of what humanization mm-hmm. um, and, it, and the alliance um, would fight for a bit, and um, someone having gained, if not a decisive victory, then a victory of some sort over another, as as had previously happened in nation-state wars, it would resolve, it, it would be resolved with a mixture of diplomacy. The yielding of territory, the payment of reparations, and then pretty much the map would be redrawn a little bit. Some stuff that used to be Belgian would now be German. Um, some stuff that was French would now be German, perhaps. Mm. Mm. Um, but it would resolve itself within a relatively short space of time.
2: Mm.
1: Um, I certainly don't think it was anticipated that, um, with the newly available technologies such as very portable infantry uh, sorry very portable artillery um, and very 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 portable machine guns sure Um, Sure. the thing would turn into the slaughterhouse that it turned into Mm. Mm. uh, very very quickly
0: Uh, final impressions
1: of the lyrics before we move on there's some good lyrics in here Mm -hmm. Um, I need to sort of allude to the final line again because a couple of times during the lyrics leading up to this um we've been invoking the concept of warriors never die a bleak stroke um those who die in war will be reborn to continue to fight the next war or the continuing war mm-hmm. and we have this, this genuinely apocalyptic statement at the end clouds of terror destroy all hope of rebirth mm, mm, it's
0: strong oh so that is the rebirth so that that, that finally brings an end to the endless war Yes. Yes, very strong stuff, isn't it? I think it's a. Gr- I think this is a great piece of writing, actually. I think you know, for a, you know, for a band in its in its nascent phase, um, you know, Jeff, a, a, you know, very very young man, not particularly um, experienced at songwriting. I think there's some really really strong stuff here. I like it a lot.
1: I couldn't help myself. I had to go and look up. If any culture have any gods of steel and what their name might be Mm -hmm. um, i know it would have been awkward i would have loved it if he had put gods of the underworld Mm -hmm. Um, i would have loved it if he could have made a reference to um, the name of um, uranus or pluto um, after whom um, the nuclear weapon components uranium and plutonium are named i would have loved that Mm -hmm. Um, I can't find any ancient culture that had anything approaching a god of steel. Sure. Sure.
0: It's so it's just a it's just an image that, that that was formed in his own mind for us to enjoy Definitely. thirty seven years later. How about that? <laughs> wow. Well done, Jeff. Let's move on. Welcome to part four of Slatanic Vergast. Here, we just offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have inadvertently missed along the way.
1: You got anything for me, Doc? Probably nothing I haven't mentioned already. Um, I continue to find more positive than negative to take away from the tracks on this album. Um, I know why you liked the musical component of this song less than I did, and that has to do with a different backgrounds in music and mm-hmm. the different things that we appreciate. Sure. Um, I don't think that result would have been completely unexpected mm-hmm. um, even before we started reviewing it. Um, I really, really appreciate the, the chaos of it. Um, I really love the fact that you can spot the origins of so many things that would come later. hmm and we'll we'll think of it as a a transitional piece it's bearing witness to Slayer absorbing a bunch of influences um and not so much making a track as um like shrapnel from a grenade Mm. throwing out a bunch of influences as well what do you think (laughs) i like it no i I like it i don't dislike the song as much as
0: as as maybe i've given the impression um but like i say for me it's, it's just You know, for Slayer, I just find this a bit nondescript. Um, Perfectly functional, perfectly acceptable, satisfactory, bog standard Slayer. Nothing more, nothing less for me. Um, I I, I found it a little bit difficult to find interesting angles, particularly on the music, because actually, you know, to contradict what I just said, I, I think... Of the four tracks we've done so far, this had by far the best
1: lyrics. They definitely persuade a lot of where Slayer would be going by the time we get to album three now, don't they?
0: Well, particularly uh, where,
1: where Jeff would be going with his, you know, with, with his songwriting, Yeah, I think. So, I, I mean, I, I choose to think of it not as a great piece in its own right, mm-hmm. but I suppose important for the amount of... The amount and diversity of influence it's guzzling up, mm. and the amount and diversity of influence that it's spitting out. Sure. So, like, like, like
0: the greatest of all Babylon Five episodes. This is all about foreshadowing. Studying history to understand the future. Exactly. Now, before, <laughs> be, before, before we give our final scores, I have a surprise piece of music to play for you, Doctor L. Very good. I want you to listen to this and see, well, first of all, let's see if you recognise it. Oh, hang on,
1: let me press the right button. Yes. What is it? That's, that's the opening theme to The Return of the Saints, starring Ian Ogilvy from 1977. Very good. 25 geek points to the dock. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, why do you think I'm playing this piece of music? Let's have another listen. I mean, is it just me? Hang on.
1: Is it just me? No, I don't think it's you at all. Um... Is it possible
0: that Jeff Hanneman... Watch the return of the saint in 1977, and
1: remember the and remember the riff. I think it's distinctly possible, and I think he's far from being the only person. Um, <laughs> I'm. It, it's it's a band on which on which I'm not an expert, um, but um, by the time the intro is finished, and you get the bass line and the guitar part at the same time, you've practically got a cure song. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, by total
0: coincidence. I heard that theme tune from, from The Return of the Saint about two days ago, and, and, and that's stuck in my head ever since because it, it is just such, a, such an earworm. Um, and today, in preparation for, 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 for our recording, I, you know, I re-listened
1: to Fight Till Death, and I thought, my God. I think if you're a musician, or if you aspire to being a musician, anything you've ever heard, ever will leak out in what you play sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've had this experience um, that I've come up with a particular part um, or a particular line um, and someone's called me out on it and said, um, you knocked that off of such and such and such, didn't you? And sure. no, consciously I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've sort of got a bit of, um, I suppose you might say, easily led or easily influenced um, deep-sea sponge of a mind like I have, um, anything, just about anything that's cool or catchy or interesting that you hear at any point during your life mm-hmm. will, will wedge in your head. And whether you want it to or not, um, when you've got your creative on, when you're, you're, you're in a writing mode, it will just leak out in most unexpected ways. No, you're quite right. I,
0: I remember once um, writing a song... That I was dead, I was dead chuffed with, um, and I took it to the studio to play to the other guitarist. <clears throat> and as soon as I started playing it, he just said, "Well, we can't use that. You know, that's um, that's an Iron Maiden song. I can't remember. I, I, I can't actually remember which Maiden track it was. But as soon as he said that, it was." Oh, yes, of course it is, you know, but, but utterly inadvertent, utterly inadvertent.
1: I feel as though um, I hear lots of television themes crop up in lots and lots of um, different songs all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hardly surprising uh, the people who compose television themes, particularly in the Classic era of television of the 60s and 70s, they got paid a lot of money and they were greatly prized for their skill in writing just little 30-second hooks. That's it, isn't it? It's the um, hook. That's the word, isn't it? It's the hook. That you know, if if the title sequence came on, um something about the the, the music would be the thing that would make people drop what they were doing and pay attention to the television screen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I mean that the people who wrote those those tunes, um, the the, the masters of their craft and the, the, the very skilled psychologists. Mm-hmm. Um, and their ability to write a thing that will get under your skin, as you correctly just said, just earworm you, mm-hmm. stick in your head, yeah, um, and try to provoke the, the the Pavlovian reaction. Sure. When you hear that thing again, you'll want to watch the program, buy some merchandise, um, buy a product that was mm-hmm. advertised in the middle of the program.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so with all of that intentional Pavlovian psychology or Skinnerian psychology going on behind it, I don't think it's surprising at all that those things stick subliminally um, in people's heads and leak out when they least expect it. Sure. I know
0: know for a fact, when I was a boy, when the Quincy theme music came on, my eyes would glaze over. I would walk over to the settee automatically like an automaton. Um, I had no control over this, you know? Total Pavlov's yep, yeah. dog response. You're absolutely correct. Um, but we're not here to talk about TV themes. We're here to talk about Slayer. So, scores on the doors, please. Um, how many liquescent schools are you going to give to fight till death? Not liquescent schools, my apologies. Liquescent swords. It's an important Lique-less difference.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sloppy swords, mate. Correct. Um, Dripping lubricated swords. <laughs> um, I'm an on pass on this. I I admire it far more than I actually like it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I think it will go on to be very important. It still doesn't mean it's a song I will particularly want to go back and listen to in isolation. Um, and honestly, if I've got it on the electronic music player um, or I've got it on a whirly-whirly silver disc thingy, mm-hmm. um, I might be tempted to reach for the fast-forward button. Um, it's got some good things about it. Don't hate it. Appreciate it. But I can really only give it four. Oh. Wow. That came totally out of left
0: field. Um, especially considering the score that I'm about to give it,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: which is five Moe's mutilated skulls. Wow. Who would have thunk it based on (laughs) the way that we've discussed it? Okay. That about does it for this episode. Join us next time when we'll be discussing the next track from Show No Mercy entitled Metal Storm Face the Slayer. I'll see you then, Doc.